right, that's it. If you have found Numbers chapter 13, say amen. And we're going to dig in. You know, we, we sort of commemorate being out here this morning, about eight months of our church having to worship outside. We had our own wilderness experience, just like the Canaanites, uh, the, the Israelites had before uh, they reached the promised land. And, um, and, and, and those were interesting times, right? Good and bad. And, 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 and when 2020 happened, all of it happened. It was amazing to me to see how many Christians failed the test of faith versus fear. They, they just failed. Fear got the best of them. And they literally were crippled by it. And not to, not to judge, just to say it out of a concern, it is, it's interesting to me that as a Christian, when you think you're living a life of faith, that you and the Lord are tight, everything is going well, and then something happens, and there is fear, how easy it is for fear to win out. Does it happened to you recently? Here's the test. You see, sometimes we find ourselves being led more by fear than by faith. We saw that not only happen a few years back during the year of COVID and all of the chaos that, that, that happened, but even today. And so I want to share with you from Numbers 13 and 14, because remember, the book of Numbers was written actually for the church. It was written for our instruction. And I want to tell you that, that the most important things that you will ever do in life are the things that you will do for the Lord but they will not be easy. They won't be easy. The most important things that you will do in life, it's not job success, career success. It's not the material things that you buy. It's, it's not, you know, the, the fact that you are, are loving and caring for your, your children. All of those are good things. But the most important things that you will do in life are the things that you do for the Lord. And often those things are not easy, but they will be rewarding if you do them by faith. And so let's think about what it means to remain faithful to the Lord. All right, so uh, Numbers 12, and God had to deal with all of the complaining Israelites because they had uh, moved from Mount Sinai, and they're now they're making their way to Canaan. They're just literally a few days away from the promised lands. And, and, and now as they are journeying towards uh, Canaan, you have to imagine that after centuries, the promise that God made to Abraham was just about to come true. After centuries. If I take you all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when Abram traveled hundreds of miles from his home to Canaan, just as the Lord promised. And he said to Abram, to your descendants, I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord and worshiped him. It was Canaan that Abraham traveled to. It was Canaan that God made this promise. Now move forward 600 years. And 600 years later, you've got uh, Moses, and he's being told of the Lord 
to, to go into Egypt and deliver the Israelites from slavery. And he says in Exodus 13, I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt. Now, that's very important. Remember, bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now they are literally days away from walking right into that land that was flowing with milk and honey. Now, chapter 13, let's follow along. Verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and he said, I want you to send men to scout out the land of Canaan. I am giving this land to the Israelites and send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the Lord's command. And all of the men were leaders in Israel. And these were their names. Shamua, son of Zakor, from the tribe of Reuben. Uh, Shaphat, son of Hori, from the tribe of Simeon. Remember this name, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Judah. Egal, son of Joseph, from the tribe of Issachar. Hoshea, son of Nun, from the tribe of Ephraim. And then the list goes on all through the 12 tribes of Israel. And at the end, Moses records, and these were the names of the men Moses sent out to scout out the land, and Moses renamed Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Hosea simply means salvation. We have one of the minor prophet books in the Old Testament, named after the prophet Hosea, has a similar name. The name salvation was translated to Yahweh saves, or Jehovah saves, which is what Joshua means. It is the closest derivative to our Lord Jesus. The Lord saves, and Joshua was given that name. Caleb from Judah, and now Joshua from Ephraim. Ephraim will later represent the entire nation of Israel, and so these two represent the people of God and they were handpicked men, leaders from each tribe, ordered to do some military reconnaissance into Canaan. So the best of the best were chosen, and they were getting ready to be sent out. Verse 17, when Moses sent them out to scout out the land of Canaan, he told them, now go up this way to the Negev, and then go up into the hill country, see what the land is like. And whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, is the land that they live good or bad? Are the cities that they live in encampments or fortifications? Is the land fertile or unproductive? Are the trees in it or not? Then he says, look at verse 20, be courageous. And when you return, bring something back to show us what the land was like. Bring some fruit back from the land because it was midsummer and this was the time when the grapes first began to ripen. Uh, this must have been an exciting moment for Israel. After centuries, these scouts were about to walk down the same paths of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. They were to go from 
from the very south, from, from the desert lands of the Negev, the south lands, all the way around to the coastal regions, and then back as they're returning to the hills there of Canaan, especially the area of Hebron in the valley of Echor. What's your, what's your favorite? Do you, do, do you like the hot, arid lands? Do you like the coastal lands? Or are you a hill person, like in the mountains? And they were to scout out all of this. They were to travel the same paths of their father Abraham. They were to climb the same hills uh, as Jacob did and, and his sons like Joseph. They were go to go from the southern point to the east, to the west, to the northern point and back and simply to give a report. So what was it like? What was the land like? What was the, what was the topography? What were, what were the people like? Oh, are there cities there? Are they fortified? Are there armies there? Did you find any fruit trees? Can we live there? Bring some fruit back to be examined. Verse 21. So they went up and, and they scouted the land out. And they scouted the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. They went through the Negev and they came to Hebron. Remember that. That's an important city, Hebron. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they came to the Eskol Valley, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, which had to be carried on a pole by two men. They also took some pomegranates and figs, and that place was called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster of grapes that the Israelites cut there. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from scouting the land. A 40-day journey all throughout the area, surveying the entirety of Canaan land, starting from the desert up then around, and they, they, they spent more time there in the hill country, especially the valley of Eskol, because they found a luscious and fertile plain there. Man, could it grow some fruits. And in that plain, by the way, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, there's a particular patch of trees there called the trees of Mamre. Abraham and Sarah set their tent up there and they lived there for many, many years. The valley and just up the valley was the highest place in Canaan and the highest place was called Hebron. Hebron, that city that became so important in biblical history. It was Hebron where Abraham said, that's where I want my wife and I to be buried. And Isaac said, I want my wife and I to be buried too. And Jacob said, ah, I, me and Leah are going to be buried there. And even Joseph said, get my bones out of Egypt one day and bury me there. These scouts walked right past the graves of their forefathers. Eben, what a special place. And, and, and they went through this, this area called Anak. If you look in verse 22, Anak was also an interesting place because that was a place that, that was feared by many to have giant men living there. And these very large humans lived in Anak and, and spread all the way to a strip called Gaza, which in, in ancient times was called Gath. And there was a particular giant 
called Goliath, who was a part of this tribe, considered a descendant of the Anakim, and it would be a shepherd boy named David who would kill that giant from Gath, and he would later be coronated king of Israel in Hebron, and he would set up his kingdom there on that high place in Hebron for seven years before he conquered Jerusalem and then set up Zion there for the rest of his reign. And so now these Israelites covered three to 400 miles and in the, you know, on their backs, they, they carried the product of Canaan, a, 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 the largest cluster of grapes they had ever seen imaginable. I mean, the size of a child's, they brought it back. What an event. What a scene. And now it's time for them to report verse 26. So the men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they reported to Moses this, verse 27. He goes from glorious to gloomy. We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it was flowing with milk and honey, and here are some of its fruits. I wish they would have stopped there. I wish they would have prayed and said, let's go. But they didn't. However, verse 28, the people living there in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified, and we also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev along with the Hethites and the Jebusites and the Amorites living in the hill country. And then there are the Canaanites living by the sea along the Jordan. The land is exactly as the Lord said. It was a land flowing of milk and honey. They gave that report, but then they said, however, however, there are people there larger than we, there, our cities there that are fortified. Uh, there's no way that we could conquer those cities with those high walls. There, there are giant men there living in the land. The land was great. The people were scary. And so their report was filled with fear, completely lacking the faith. And so they failed the test. Now they, they were looking at circumstances that they felt were way beyond them and they could not see any possibility of overcoming the land. They couldn't see. They couldn't see. And my friends, when you can't see, that's when faith is supposed to kick in. If you could see, it wouldn't be faith. The author of Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 1, in thinking about this, in thinking about uh, the, the life of Abraham and, 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 and these forefathers of our faith, said this, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And for this, by this, our ancestors were approved. And he goes on to talk about men like Noah. Noah couldn't see a great flood. It had never rained. And yet by faith, he built the ark. Abraham couldn't see. He couldn't see that he would have a, a family so large that 
that it's greater than the number of stars in the sky? He couldn't see it. But that didn't stop him from leaving everything and going to Canaan and living in a tent. Friends, don't you see that when you see, it's not faith, but it becomes faith when you place those things in your heart and claim the promises of God when you cannot see. God had never promised that it would be easy to, to conquer Canaan. He never promised that you could just walk right in. And yet he told them to go. You know, the only thing that God ever asks of you is to love me, trust me, keep my commands. If that's all you get today and then get some chicken and go home, that'll be enough. The only thing that God is asking you, love me, trust me, keep my commands. Has nothing to do with your circumstance. Love me, trust me, keep my commands. The exact same thing would say with Jesus, for Jesus in our relationship with Christ. This is what Christ would want you of you. Love me, trust me, keep my commands. That's what it means to follow Christ by faith. By faith. Carson gave a testimony that he had to come to the place recognizing his sin. And by faith, he was going to follow Jesus. If there's someone here who's not a Christian, by faith, you're going to have to get to the point where you answer the question, who is Jesus to you? Did he die on a cross for your sins? Did he actually rise from the grave? If so, then by faith, what will you do? Love him. Trust him. Keep his commands. These leaders of Israel, the best of the best, failed the test of faith. Except for Caleb and Joshua, verse 30. Caleb, he quieted the people. And, um, and in the presence of everyone, even, even these uh, scouts that he had just spent 40 days with, he spoke up. And he said, no, let's go up and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. But then the other 10 who had gone up with him, they said, no, we can't. We can't attack the people because they're stronger than we. They gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through and explored is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw there are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak who came from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed like grasshoppers to them. So even though faithful Caleb tried to rally the troops, the faithless other ten convinced the crowd not to enter, and they opposed Caleb's message. They were terrified of the giants. They were terrified of the giants. They knew they were stronger. Of course the giants were stronger than they were. Of course. Of course you will face obstacles beyond your strength to overcome them. Of course. God never said that you wouldn't. Of course. 
Was not Goliath stronger than David? Was not Goliath physically stronger than David? More skilled than David? And yet by faith, David picked up some stones, took his sling, and said, The Lord's, he will deliver us. The battle is the Lord's, and he will deliver us. Now, would common wisdom tell these scouts not to proceed and go into the land? Yes, common wisdom would. So did they make the right choice by not proceeding? Absolutely not. So then why should they go? Because God told them to. That's why. Like, you can't be willy-nilly with faith. You can't just say, God, by faith, I want this, or God, by faith, I declare this. That's, that's not how it works. Here's how it works. When you understand the person of God and you understand the promises of God revealed in his word, then you claim those promises by faith. That's how faith works. When you understand the person of God, when you understand the character of God, when you understand the promises of God contained in his word, you claim those promises. The reason why they should go into Canaan is because God said go. That's why. And yet, they decided not to. Verse 14, the whole community broke out in loud cries and the people wept at night and all the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron and the whole community said, oh, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Oh, if only we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by sword? Our wives, our children will become plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let's appoint a different leader and let's go back. And fear became a frenzy. And then they doubted. They even doubted their leaders. And they decided to turn back. Why? And, and why do we as Christians at times choose the slavery and the imprisonment of fear rather than living by faith? And, and some of you are being challenged by that right now. Well, some of you, I'm guessing, are choosing to be imprisoned by fear and not living by faith. Sometimes that happens. Why? Why does the fear of your circumstances, why does the fear of man so tightly grip you? Well, I think that fear is a signal of unbelief. Because I think ultimately the, the sin of Israel was not fearing the giants. It was okay to be afraid of those giants. The sin of Israel was unbelief in God, which, which by the way, is the only sin that cannot be forgiven. Unbelief in God and who he is. Every other sin can be forgiven, but not, not unbelief. Because when you're not believing in God, how can God respond? And Israel sinned by way of unbelief. 
Now listen, friends. It's the only sin that could keep you from heaven to not believe in who Jesus is. It's the only. You may have committed a lot of other sins, like, like Carson was sharing some of his personal sins in his story. All can be forgiven, but not unbelief. And for, for Israel, this was a sin God could not pardon. So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid this? Well, let me help you if I could. We can avoid the sin of unbelief in four ways. First of all, we must never forget God's promises. Second, we must never forget God's faithfulness. Third, we must never neglect God's blessings. And finally, we must never deny God's power. Let me walk through those. First, we must never forget God's promises. The scouts forgot, right? They, they started walking through Canaan and they were amazed at, at everything they saw until they saw the fortified city of the giants and then they forgot everything. And they started looking through the lens of unbelief and they lacked faith and all they saw was obstacles rather than opportunities, except for Caleb and Joshua. Why? Because Caleb and Joshua, they knew those giants were bigger than they. They knew those, those cities were will be difficult to conquer, but they remembered the promises of God. God said, go. You know, later Joshua would come back with the children of the unbelieving Israelites when their children grew up, and Joshua would take an army to one of these walled fortified cities and crash it down simply by walking around it and shouting. By faith. By faith. So now, are you looking at your life and your circumstances through the lens of belief in God's promises, or are you looking at life through the lenses of unbelief and doubt? And, and maybe a little of both, if you're honest. Probably. Probably. You're probably like that, that, that honest father in Mark chapter 9 who says, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's probably an honest... That's probably an honest uh, situation for you all. Are you looking at life through the lenses of belief and believing in the promises of God or through the lenses of unbelief and doubt? We must never forget God's promises. Now, second, we must never forget God's faithfulness. If you're struggling with fear, I need for you to look back before you look ahead. Look back before you look ahead. And the best place you can look back is the Bible. Go to the Bible and look back. And just ask the question, God, have you proven yourself to be faithful? And what will the Bible say? What will the Bible say? If you look at the Bible and ask the question, God, have you proven yourself to be faithful? The answer is absolutely yes. From creation through redemption of our divine Savior on the cross, God has proven himself over and over and over again to be faithful. God, may you, be, may you be faithful and provide help and mercy for whatever our officers and our servants are going to. We cannot forget the faithfulness of God. Amen. And here's really the frustrating things. The scouts walk right past the graves of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
If there was any proof of God's faithfulness, it was the bones lying in those graves. Listen, friends, sometimes the best motivation for you to continue on is to remember those who went before you. Can I say that again? Sometimes the best motivation you have to continue on by faith is to look back at those faithful men and women of God who went before you. And if you have children, chart the path of faithfulness for them so that they can one day remember your walk and follow along that path. We cannot forget God's faithfulness. We cannot disregard what God has done by focusing on present problems. Don't allow worry to dominate your mind and then infect your soul. All right, third, we must not neglect God's blessings. God told the people that this promised land was flowing with milk and honey. He said that to Abram 600 years earlier. He had said that to Moses before he even entered into Egypt to redeem God's people. And he's saying that again. This land is yours. This land is full and rich of my blessings. I mean, they brought back a, a cluster of grapes with, with grapes the size of meatballs. Well, not my meatballs. But they saw, they visually saw the blessings of God. But rather than coming back praising God from whom all blessings flow, they came back grumbling and feeling cursed by God. So now let me ask you this. Part of the reason why you may be failing the test of faith is because you're not counting your blessings. You're not taking the appropriate time to be thankful and to count all of the blessings that God has for you. And sometimes we, we fail to do that. And finally, we must not deny God's power. Of course, there were giants in the land. And yes, a giant could probably take care of an Israelite or two, but not God. A giant is nothing compared to God. And so don't worry about the giants. Israel's story was not about their power and might anyway, but the mighty power of God. We, we do not battle in our own strength, but in the strength the Lord provides. One of our, one of our most important Christian leaders and heroes is a man by the name of Martin Luther, when faced with catastrophic difficulties in trying to reform the church there in Germany, and in even his life being threatened and, and, and being excommunicated by the Roman church, and yet he pursued by faith, by faith. And he wrote a song, we know this song, it's called A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, and it talks about not denying God his power. Here's part of the, the hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. If we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. If you only try to live out Christianity on your own strength, your striving will be losing. And so we must not deny God of his power. We must not. Now, let me just summarize the rest of this story. And it is super unfortunate. So Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua 
all four of these men now are pleading with the Israelites not, not to do this, not to lose faith. And, and yet they failed. The people picked up stones and they were going to kill them and replace them with leaders who would take them back to Egypt to shackle them in, back into the slavery of fear and unbelief. And, and, and wow, the Lord got angry. And he said to Moses, step back. I'm going to wipe out all these people. I'm going to replace them with better people. And then and you'll, you will lead a nation so much better and stronger than these. But what does Moses, the good mediator, do? Even though the people had stones in their hands and they were going to kill him. Moses, the faithful mediator, pleads with the character of God and the promises of God. And he says, God, now you've promised, you've promised these people. And he simply quotes from Exodus, God, you are slow to anger and you are abounding and faithful of love. God, you're forgiving. You forgive sin and you forgive rebellion. And God says, you're right. And God relented. But then God said this, Moses, these people, and, and if you look down to verse 23, you'll see the exact words. He said, these people, who have seen my glory, who have witnessed my mighty miracles in Egypt and in the wilderness, these people will never see the promised land with their own eyes. Not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert will see the land I promised to their forefathers, except for Caleb and Joshua. Then he says in verse 33, their children will suffer because of their parents' unfaithfulness for 40 years. And it happened. So God told Moses to pack up everything, pack up all the tents, and turn their faces away from Canaan and look back to the wilderness, back to the desert, head back to the Red Sea. And for the next 40 years, they would just simply walk in circles until every Israelite who failed the test of faith passed away in the wilderness. Everyone except for Caleb and Joshua. Every single one. That 40-day journey would result in 40 years of heartache and turmoil for the people of Israel the covenant people of God. Forty days, and they failed the test. Now let me tell you about someone who spent 40 days and passed the test. Who am I talking about? Yes. Yes, children. Jesus passed the test of 40 days. God sent him into the wilderness and this is going to be his tests of faith versus fear. And all alone, all by himself, his greatest adversary, Satan, shows up. Here's the test. Here's another. Here's another. And Jesus, simply knowing the person of God and Jesus knowing the promises of God, passed the test. He said, no, the scriptures say this. <laughs> no, I know God. And God would say this. And finally, finally, Satan said to Jesus, okay, how about this? 
you bow to me and I'll give you your kingdom. I know, I know that you've come because you're going to claim this world as your kingdom. Uh, you don't have to face a cross. You won't have to face a cross. You just bow your knee to me. I'll give you your kingdom. And in that moment, in that moment, Jesus had to make a decision because he knew for him to face the cross would also mean for him to be the sin bearer. He knew the scriptures. He knew he would have to become sin for you. He would have to take your sin on himself, on that tree. What an offer Satan was making. I, I won't have to do anything, any of that? Just bow the knee? And yet Jesus said no. And by faith, he accepted his fate there in the wilderness. He passed the test. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. If we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. But now here's the rest of the hymn. Were it not for the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And there might be some of you here today like, like Carson was, and you might just simply be thinking, God, I, I just don't think you want to save me. I can't see any reason why you would save me. I know who I am. I know what I've done. That's where faith comes in, my friend. That's where the promises of Scripture come in that tell you God loves you more than you know. He loves you so much that he sent his own son to die on a cross to save you when you had no ability or power to save yourself. And he was buried and he rose again on that third day, proving, proving that he has power over sin and death. So whatever giants are keeping you from claiming Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior right now, you can put those away. And by faith, you can come to Jesus. If you have already done that, say amen. And if you have done that, you be praying right now for those who are with us today out on the lawn who still have yet to make that decision. My friend, please, please consider Christ being sufficient and loving you enough that you can put down those fears and you can come to him freely. Now, these things happen to the Israelites as an example. 1 Corinthians 10, they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. The most important things that you will do in life are the things that you will do for the Lord. They won't be easy, but they will absolutely be rewarding if you do them by faith. And Father, this gift of faith that we need, please grant it to us by your Spirit. Please give it to us so that when we face whatever giants we are facing, whatever trials we're facing, whatever fears 
are pressing in, that we will be more than overcomers because of your love for us, because of your Son, our Savior, that has been given to us. May we leave today faithful people. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand. Amen.